Hello, Dr. Dyke Drummond here at the home of TheHappyMD.com in beautiful Seattle, Washington. Welcome to the latest episode of the Physicians on Purpose podcast. Tools so you can recognize and prevent your own burnout. Stories of burnout put to its highest and best use. And wellness leadership strategies. Everything you need to be a physician on purpose. Hey, Dyke Drummond here once again with the latest Physicians on Purpose podcast broadcasting from beautiful Seattle, Washington, home of The Happy MD. And today our guest is Dr. Joseph Maroon, MD. He's the professor of neurosurgery at the University of Pittsburgh. He's the team neurosurgeon for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's the medical director of the WWE. For those of you who don't know, that's World Wrestling Entertainment. He has two Super Bowl rings, a Super Bowl football on the, on the shelf behind him. He's an eight-time Ironman triathlete. He's in multiple halls of fame. He's author of the book, Square One, A Simple Guide to a Balanced Life. And you can find him at josephmaroon.com. And Dr. Joe's here today because a couple of different things. Joe, how old are you again? 80. Sticks a little bit, but when I say that, I'm 80. <laughs> if you're watching this on YouTube, you don't believe it either. <laughs> and Joe has a wonderful story as a hard-charging neurosurgeon of all things, of a midlife course adjustment that has made a huge difference in his life. So Joe, what I'd like to do is just take us back and take us through the transition where you got to that point where you said, you know, I'm not sure how much longer I can keep going like this, what it was like then and what it was that you did, how you personally created a strategy to change the course and get some more meaning back in your life and your practice. Yeah, absolutely. Doug. And first of all, it's a great pleasure being here with you. I've been following you and your work for many years, and it's just a great opportunity to share some thoughts with you. And specific to your question, I went through medical school, residency and neurosurgery came to the University of Pittsburgh, and I was very bent on being a very successful neurosurgeon. I wanted to be the best I could, and I strived to attain that, and I did. I accumulated most of the amulets of success. I had a position. I was chief of neurosurgery at the University of Hospital. I was doing really pretty good research using profound hypothermia to treat intracranial aneurysms. I was married. I had two kids and publishing a lot of papers. Everything seemed to be going well. And also, I had significant pecuniary rewards. Well, at the university, I had a living wage. Let me put it that way. There you go. There you go. (laughs) Back then. But most people think of accumulating success as what I just said, the amulets of success. And I had it all. And then you don't realize how much you don't have until it's suddenly gone. And In the course of a single week, my father died of a heart attack suddenly at age 60. Oh, my. Which prompted me also to change some things. My wife left in the middle of winter with our two children, and for good reason. And I had to quit neurosurgery. I no longer had any resilience or reserve. When things started to get a little shaky, I knew I was unable to safely operate. And at that point, what you have talked about so often, burnout, overworked, overcommitted, overstressed, overwhelmed. I had to leave neurosurgery. And 
my father left a dilapidated truck stop to my mother, bequeathed it to her. And one week I was doing awake brain surgery on patients with cortical tumors. And the next week I literally was pumping gas and flipping hamburgers in a truck stop. Oh my. <laughs> I moved in with my mother. You know, it was the Oedipus, the Oedipus thing. The king is dead, moved in with the mother and lived in a very cold farmhouse in Wheeling, West Virginia, and wondered what in the world happened. I had no insight, Dyke, into how I got there. None. And I was really pathologically depressed. I had a major depressive disorder, as they would say today. Pharmacologic agents didn't help. I was really pretty desperate. I even contracted hepatitis from the truck stock food and one day looked at my icteric eyes and said, oh my God, and was too embarrassed to go to the hospital. But after about three months, the banker who held the mortgage on the truck stop called me one day and said, hey, Joe, let's go for a run. I said, run, I'm 20 pounds overweight. I can hardly walk up a flight of steps. And uh, I think he wanted to know if I'd be around long enough to pay off the mortgage on the truck stop, <laughs> I think. <laughs> but I, I gathered a pair of scrubs and shoes, went down to a local high school track in Wheeling, West Virginia. I made it around four times, was exhausted. I heard, I said, never again, I'm finished. But that night, Dyke, was the first night I slept in months and a little light bulb went off and I went down the next day myself and I did a mile and a quarter, then a mile and a half and then two and then three. And pretty soon I was like Forrest Gump running through Wheeling, West Virginia as the unintended side effect of running and working out and stressing my body, my neurotransmitters were getting rebalanced. My endogenous serotonin, my endogenous endocannabinoids, my endogenous dopamine were getting recalibrated in my various networks. And I, first time I started to feel like I was alive again. The depression started to lift. And I learned to swim and at the local YMCA for the first time in 40 years. And then I got a bike and I read about triathlons and it was just getting started then. And I entered into a 10 man race, 300 meter swim, 10 mile bike and a 10K run. I finished that and I felt like Roger Bannister finishing the four minute mile. <laughs> it was the unintended side effect of doing the right thing. And the other thing I did, you know, I know some physicians are reluctant to talk about spirituality or prayer, but I, I picked up my Bible that I hadn't looked at for quite a few years. And I also picked up another little book by William Danforth, who was the CEO of Rolston Purina Company back in the early 1900s. And he, he gave a prize to graduating seniors in high school entitled, I Dare You, a little book. And he said, I dare you to lead a balanced life. And I'm going to show you how to do it. So those listeners who are listening to us right now, I want you to I want you to do me a favor. I want you in your mind right now to draw a square. On the top, put work. On the right side, put family. On the bottom, put spiritual. And on the other side, put physical. Now, I want you to think for just a minute how much effort you put into each one of these activities on a daily basis. Not necessarily the hours, but now how much time do you put on your work? 
Lots. And draw a line equivalent to that. Mine was a flat line EKG. <laughs> there was nothing else. It was all work. No box, just a top line work. There was no family. I, I really had neglected from ambition, success. I neglected the family. And the spiritual was really atrophic. And we can talk about that a little bit more if you like. And then the physical was absent. I was 20 pounds overweight, couldn't walk up a flight of steps. So I started looking at my square on a daily basis. I, I still, I wake up today and I say, okay, where is my work line? How am I going to connect with my family and kids? Physicians were, and I think this is mostly a physician audience, if I'm correct, but physicians have an incredible opportunity in terms of spirituality. And I don't proselytize. I don't try to convert anybody. But one of the most stressful times in a patient's life is when he's waiting on a gurney, waiting to get wheeled into an operating room to have his brain or back operated on. The anxiety level, the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, the cortisol level is off the charts. And I'll frequently take the patient's hand. I think therapeutic touch is extremely important, touching the patient. And I'll ask, do you believe in a higher power? Do you believe in God? Would you like to say a prayer? 90% of the people say yes. And I'll, I'll take their hand and I'll say, today is the day the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And with your help, get Mary or John back to their family, back to their work, back to their life. I've gotten more thank yous from families and patients for that 15 seconds of connection than I have for the successful surgery. I mean, they really, really appreciate that. That's a lovely non-denominational general spiritual prayer that I think anybody can get behind. Absolutely. Anybody can say. And, you know, and in the literature, 85 to 90 percent of nurses, doctors, patients believe in connecting mm -hmm. like that before any major procedure or, or situation. So prayer became, you know, what in spirituality is really what's the purpose of life? It's a life of purpose. And, you know, we can go very deep into that, particularly for physicians in this, this terrible pandemic area where where overworked, overcommitted, burnout, emotional exhaustion, depersonalization. And, and what's it all about, Alfie? You know, why am I working? What's my job all about? Burnout. And that you're such an authority on. I mean, you remember, I don't know if you recall Chuck Knoll. He was the Super Bowl coach of the Steelers for five Super Bowls, four Super Bowls. Right, right. I worked with Chuck back in the 90s and actually worked very closely with him. And he used to say, you know, football is not complicated. It's about blocking and tackling. Whoever blocks and tackles the best wins the game. Life, when you really distill it, is not that complicated. It's about your work, your family, your purpose or spirituality, and your physicality. I agree. I always say that leadership is like baseball. Baseball, whether you're Little League or in the World Series, is just four things. Throw the ball, catch the ball, hit the ball, run, right? <laughs> Let's just take a pause. So here you are by yourself, living with your mom, running a truck stop, running, picking up your Bible, working to live a life of purpose. And uh, let me just ask a quick question, just historically. Did you grow up in West Virginia? Did you grow up in the yes, church? Yes, my home. I grew up in... Bridgeport, Ohio, with 
with John Havlicek and Phil Negro. There you go. Yikes. Two, two guys. <laughs> we all played on the same baseball team. Really? Today. Holy moly. Well, and you went on to be a Scholastic All-American in football at IU, right? Indiana University? That's correct. Right on. So here you are, and, and it sounds like this is a place of healing. This is a, a little island in everything else that was going on. What happens next? <laughs> well, you know, I... That's a good question, actually. I I started working at the local hospital in Wheeling, West Virginia, and I thought, you know, it's I'm just going to stay here. My mother literally kicked me out. She said, <laughs> "You have to go back to the university." Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of kicked you out. <laughs> she kicked me out. She said, "You're, you know, you're you love research, you love teaching, you love patient care, and." At the university, you can expand and, and mentor, which is basically what I'm really doing now. I don't say I'm in the fourth quarter anymore. I'm in overtime. So I borrowed time. If you compare your if you compare time. your life with your dad, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. But that gets into epigenetics too. You know what my father did, how his diet was, how he didn't exercise. And all those things, those epigenetic environmental factors, I really took to heart. And still every day, you know, I I, I commit myself to at least an hour of aerobic activity, weights, blah, blah, blah. And the diet is very carefully chosen. And and those are things that go into as well. But, you know, I tell people I want to die young as late as possible. (laughs) I like it. I like it. Die young and pretty. (laughs) (laughs) So so your mom kicks you out and you drag yourself back up to Pitt. To the University of Pittsburgh. And I was extremely apprehensive. You know, I was away for one year. And you left you left on short notice, too, didn't you? Just one day. I mean, I, I walked into the operating room. I I was in the middle of an operation that I had to call in my associate to finish. And I slumped in the corner and realized it's over. I can't, I'm going to hurt somebody if I stay here. So it was a pretty rude awakening in a way. Oh my. Well, first of all, I want to just say real quick, thank you so much for sharing your story. I know you've done it before, but it's an act of bravery for a, for a neurosurgeon to speak like this to, to colleagues and peers. Thank you. Well, thanks for the opportunity. I, I appreciate it very much. And so there you are, Pitt. He said, forgive me, my brothers and sisters, I have returned from the wilderness. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's what it was. And But I got, I got reinvigorated and I had a lot of support from the faculty, my chairman at the time, Peter Janetta. We actually founded the Department of Neurosurgery here at the University of Pittsburgh. And I, I got back into the teaching mold. I continued my physical activity and and that's when I, I continue to do the training and continue to do triathlons. And then I, I got in by the lottery, the, war, the Hawaiian Ironman in the 90s. And, and I finished that. And it's just been a, a pattern of my life for the last 20, 25 years. It's, and the research, the creativity, the teaching, the mentoring, you know, every day I love coming to work. I'm in my office now. And uh, I'm meeting with residents talking about augmented reality as new imaging techniques for doing brain surgery. And we're looking at things for glioblastomas and we're 
new approaches to spinal instrumentation and neuromodulation for psychiatric disorders. You know, it's an exciting time and it's going so quickly, but there's so many opportunities to continue to contribute, help, assist, guide, mentor. It is fun. I'm very blessed. Well, and you've even gone so far as to delve into the gut microbiome and its effect on the brain and all that kind of stuff. Fascinated. Fascinating. You know, most people are very unaware of the gut-brain connection, of how the food that we ingest and the microbes in our gut affect our mood, our thinking, and, and even and strongly mental health, and how we should modulate the trillions of organisms, the bacteria, the thousand species that really have been shown to control weight, to control mood, and how they're affected adversely by the typical Western diet, processed foods, sugar, artificial sweeteners, how it really affects the microbiome where 70% of the serotonin, which is the antidepressant that people associate with the brain, is made in our gut. 75% of our immune system is in the gut. And it's the bi-directional circuit. In my case, I was able to use my body physically to heal my brain. The physical activity healed my brain. Good food, exercise. I was going to say mama's cooking. And mom's cooking. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me ask you this. It was the diet you had when you were originally a a neurosurgeon in Pennsylvania different than what your mama ate? Absolutely. I mean, it was junk food on call. Oh, okay. You know, donuts, Cokes and pop and all the typical stuff that most residents ingest quickly on the run. And it, it destroys. It's just horrible for your microbiome. But the point I want to make is I use my body to heal my brain. Got it. Just like the brain, as you well know, can make the body sick. Stress and anxiety, high cortisol levels affect your cardiac status, your gut, irritable bowel syndrome, a thousand disorders, autoimmune disorders, the brain affecting the body. But you can also use the body to heal the brain and physical activity. I ask audiences this, you know, what's BDNA, brain-derived neurotropic factor? Well, brain-derived neurotropic factor, as you know, is a molecule that enhances neuronogenesis, new brain cells, synaptogenesis, new synaptic connections, and neuroplasticity. The ability, like we are right now, to take huge amounts of information somehow we've stored in engrams in our hippocampus, and now, like a laser beam, focus it and talk about it. Well, exercise enhances BDNF better than anything else. So when I go out for a run this afternoon, I I think, well, I'm going to increase my BDNF levels, make a few new brain cells, and little, (laughs) a little feel-good hormones. My endocannabinoid system is going to get jacked up. Boy, he's talked about cannabinoids twice now. I don't know. Are you using edibles over there? Huge, you know, most physicians are unaware of the endocannabinoid system. The runner's high is now thought to not to be necessarily dopamine, but endocannabinoids, simulating the CB1 receptors in the brain. Right. The feel good 
receptors. Right. Well, and again, for those of you who are not on video, <laughs> I can tell you Dr. Joe lives what he talks about, right? And if you go to josephmaroon.com, what you're going to find is a whole bunch of information on these topics of gut health and neuroplasticity and all that kind of stuff. And I take it your mother has passed now. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Both parents. Wow. You're lucky you had a mama there for you. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And uh, mother's know, love. Yeah. No, no, no question about it. I was a mama's boy. There you go. From West Virginia. <laughs> I like it. I like the whole story. Now, I just want to open up one little wormhole here for everybody who's who's listening, especially for those of you who are either at the threshold. I'm 62. Dr. Joe's 80. At that threshold of, I call it sticking the landing on a life of purpose, sticking the landing on a life of purpose. A lot of times people will use the word retirement, which typically scares the snot out of doctors, right? Retire? I don't know how to do anything else. I wouldn't know what to do with myself. I'm not just going to sit on a bench and read the newspaper. No, no, doctors typically don't do that. But the question is, there will come a time when you're not going to practice anymore. That's not going to be the main activity in your life. So the question is, what is that transition to sticking the landing? And what is, I'll bring out the L word, your legacy. What is your legacy? All of us will have to grapple with and play around with those questions at some point. So I encourage you, if you're there now, grab a piece of paper and think about what your legacy is. Start writing down some ideas. If you're not there, but you're willing to consider it, wonder for just a second or two, you know, what? how am I going to stick my landing when the time comes? What's going to be my legacy? Because that's something that we as physicians are often capable of doing more than other groups of people, because typically we have some friends and we have some money and we have some accomplishments that we can pass on. And one of the ways to do that is with teaching. And I know that you do that, Joe. Absolutely. And and as I mentioned earlier, Dyke, I don't look at retirement. I look at renewal. Right. And I, I mentioned to you the, the quote from Isaiah, he who trusts in the Lord shall be renewed. He shall rise up on wings like an eagle. He shall run and not be weary and walk and not be fatigued. And I I say that because of the renewal aspect of it. And, you know, I wrote a, I mentioned an editorial in the local newspaper here entitled Retirement or Renewal. And really, I believe this to my core and I've seen it in my own life. You know, if we draw a graph and we plot what most people think is a life, you're born, you go to school, you have kids, you get a job, you start to retire, you slow down and eventually you exit. That's not the right way, in my opinion, to look at life and death. I think we go to school, we get married, and at some point we don't like our first job. We start to get depressed and down. And then we find something creative that, you know, Somerset Maughan said, the meaning of life lies in what one wills to create. It's about creativity, what you do every day, Dyke. It's amazing. But you find something that engages your passion and you're renewed. And then it's a 10-year cycle I found in my life, 10 or 12 years. Why is it 10 years? Me too. I don't know, but it seems 10 years. You start down again and you find something else for renewal that gets your creative juices thinking. And so I, I see it as renewal and not retirement. I'm not operating anymore, but I'm able to do things that engages me that I, I have a passion about. Talking to you, I mean, whatever we can convey to the audience on this that might touch 
some people. In the book, I wrote Square One, A Simple Guide to a Balanced Life. Sanjay Gupta, the CNN correspondent, said, this book has already changed me. Oh, wow. I'm not sure for better or for worse, but I hope for better. <laughs> well, and let me, let me too, let me just say this. These cycles of renewal that are marked by episodes of burnout um, are normal. Yeah. And what I say is we're all light workers, right? We're, we've chose at that fork in the road a long time ago to be a helper and a healer. To specifically to be a physician, if that's what you are. And what happens is when you get a little off track and there's not enough purpose and there's not enough meaning in what you're doing, sometimes it's a little off track, sometimes it's a ton. But what can happen is you feel exhausted, cynical, sarcastic. What's the use? I'm not sure how much longer I can keep going like this. I want you to know that you can turn towards the light and you can make that transition to a life that has more purpose and it's closer than you think. The crisis of burnout is one where it causes some people to give up hope and it is why people become depressed and suicidal and things like that. And if you're feeling anything like that right now, first of all, give us a call because we can help at thehappymd.com. But the other thing I'll say is that this is how one over time accumulates what you will see in older people as wisdom. It's how you made the turns. It's what you did at those crisis points. And everybody has them. Anybody who says to me, you know, I've never had a, never been tired, never had any doubts in my whole life. I've never been burnt out. They are lying. I just want you to know that it's a lie. So <laughs> we're examples of having felt that normal life event of getting a little off course and then turning around and making things better as a result. And to be very blunt about it and really put it on the table, you know, six to 10, 12% of physicians at some point have suicidal ideation. And we know that 400 physicians end their lives themselves on an annual basis. So it's, it's not, I mean, I've had these thoughts. I've been there where, you know, why continue What's it all about? I, you know, I'm worthless. What is my function? I failed. And clearly those thoughts are there, but it's, again, it's reaching out to friends, true friends. It's really prayer. And the thing I think very critical is awareness. You know, the, the Buddhist philosophy of mindfulness, we must be mindful and aware on a daily basis where we are. I tell patients every day I get into my car before going to work and I look at my tachometer and on your tachometer, you have a red zone. And really I take 30 seconds and I say, you know, what's my emotional status today? Am I anxious? Am I angry? Am I upset? Am I feeling good? And you want to stay out of the red zone. Just as in your car, you'll burn up if you, if you allow yourself not to be aware of where you are. I was totally unaware of what was happening to me when I was on my path to be successful. I had no insight. Right. And with that, I think we're going to call it a day, just a day, just one day, just one episode. We'll be talking again, I'm sure. So uh, drjosephmaroon.com. You can see that football on the shelf behind him. That is a Super Bowl football. Is there anything else you'd like <laughs> to say to our listeners at this point before we, we pause for 
Dyke, I, I was I'm very sincere when I say I followed your career. I followed your uh, publications and, and blogs and things. And I, I think the contribution you're making by bringing awareness to the problem of burnout is huge in the people's lives and that you touch. And I would venture to say, save are benefits that you'll never hear about in many respects, but it's a gift that you have. And it's just a pleasure to meet you like this and share both of our experiences. So thank you. The pleasure is all mine, Dr. Joe. Thank you so much for this time and this conversation. And uh, that's our latest Physicians on Purpose podcast. Come visit us at thehappymd.com. Everybody stay safe, keep breathing, and have a great rest of your day.